Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this week's episode of Living Open. Today, I have an interview for you with Siri Vincent Plouf. Um, I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because maybe you can tell by my voice that I am sick (laughs) and I need to drink some more of this carrot ginger juice and rest myself, but I wanted to get this episode out for you. So, Siri uses they, them pronouns and they work to queer Nordic witchcraft. Um, I think their work is really amazing and they do a lot of work around the runes, they work with tarot, and they're a Nordic witch. As an unabashedly queer person, they're constantly interrogating runes and Nordic practices through a unique lens of gender identity, and we talk about that a lot in this episode, and I really, um, enjoy that part of our conversation. They see witchcraft as a way to break out of expectations and live outside of society. So we get into their journey with witchcraft, racism and white supremacy in heathenry, their experience growing up with religion and spirituality, getting introduced to witchcraft through being in a Wiccan coven, which I think is a pretty unique experience, how their gender identity and sexuality have evolved alongside their evolution with witchcraft, interrogating toxic masculinity and feeling afraid of masculinity, queerness and witchcraft, all about Nordic witchcraft, radical runes, how to work with the runes for yourself, how working with the runes is different than working with tarot, working with runes in an ethical way, creating your own folk magic practice, and we have a little bit of an Instagram rant at the end of our conversation, which I decided to leave in in case anyone else is feeling it too. Um. I think conversations like these about queerness and witchcraft are so beautiful to have and conversations about reclaiming our European traditions through an explicitly anti-racist lens um, is also really important to talk about. So I also recommend if you like this episode, scrolling back a little bit to listen to the episode with Megan McGuire. We talk a lot about European folk magic in that episode as well, not specifically any one type like Nordic witchcraft, um, but in general, and there's a lot to unpack there as well. So if you're into this episode, you might like that one as well. I'll link to it in the description. And before we get into the interview, I wanted to let you know that I'm holding Summer Solstice Breathwork on the Solstice on Monday the 21st at 7 Eastern p.m. p.m. We do not teach anything at 7 (laughs) a.m. over here. Um, I'm really excited for it. The summer solstice is such a beautiful time to me. It's a time of peak aliveness where we get to honor the sun and relish in our aliveness and touch our joy and our gratitude and always holding the both ands, right? Holding all of the feelings and also at this time making extra space to honor our aliveness and our joy and our pleasure and our gratitude. I think this summer feels pretty different to me for uh pretty obvious reasons (laughs) i think as things are starting to open up way more with covid and just personal changes too and yeah i think it could be really lovely for us to gather and mark that and honor how we're feeling around this time and step into a little bit of celebration of our survival and our life and our joy So in the ceremony, we'll do a grounding meditation. I'll talk about the summer solstice and share a tarot message for the group. And I'll guide you through a deep breathwork experience to drop into presence with your body and yeah, connect with your aliveness. You'll also get a summer solstice ritual that you can do after the ceremony or the next day or really any time in the summer that feels good to you. There is some early discount pricing through this Wednesday and 10% of the proteins, oh my god, what? I need to lay down. (laughs) 10% of the proceeds will be going to the Dominique Grammy Fells Scholarship, which is Jefferson's uh, University's first scholarship solely for transgender and gender non-conforming BIPOC students in any TJU academic program to, yeah, 
honor the legacy of Dominique Remy Fells, who was murdered last year. So the link is in the description if you want to check that out and come join us. And let's get into my conversation with Siri. Okay, so I'm so happy you're here. Um, I want to start how I always start, by asking you about your journey. So I'd love to hear anything you want to share about your journey with witchcraft and magic and how it's brought you to this moment. Oh, goodness. I have been practicing for so long. So um, I got started with witchcraft. It was always kind of something that I was really interested in, even when I was a child, right? So, you know, I was definitely like the kid who like collected rocks or like made magic potions out of like Mm -hmm. water. Um, (laughs) And uh, when I was a teenager, I actually... um, was initiated into a Wiccan coven. Hmm. Um, So that was my kind of first experience with uh, witchcraft as a spiritual path. Um, And I no longer identify as Wiccan, but it was a really good kind of firm foundation in how energy works. You know, like, I feel like I got a really good um, experience, you know, learning a like directly from like a high priest and high priestess about like, Oh, this is what energy feels like as you were moving it. This is how you design a ritual and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up, there were a lot of reasons why I left that coven, but um, I ended up moving away and became solitary for a long time. Um, and I was even an atheist mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Yeah. Just like completely, you know, no gods, um, no magic. That was a silly phase, um, <laughs> at that time. Or, you know, like I still thought of like spirits or like some magical beings, but like no creator God or no God. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I started to get back into tarot, into my own witchcraft practice. And I had known that I was Nordic, um, in ancestry for a really long time for my whole life. Um, my mom was really interested in, you know, her family's kind of legacy um, and, you know, just family stories and stuff. So I knew a lot of Nordic things. We were definitely the like, oh, yeah, we make Lefsa from scratch, like every year family, you know, Mm -hmm. like we had specific like Norwegian like cookies, like a specific like Sandbuckle tray that we would use and stuff like that. So I always knew about that stuff, but I strayed really far away from it because I was aware of the relationship between white supremacy and how white supremacy kind of like stole the runes and like took them and used them um, for hatred, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. I don't want anything to do with any of that. Um, but then when I was in ritual, I had a really powerful experience with Odin. And basically I I was doing a ritual to ask for a spirit guide or a goddess to work with. (laughs) And Odin comes down and, you know, one eye, the hat, like everything. And I was like, Really? I asked for a goddess. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so I slowly started incorporating more um, Nordic practice and mythology into my own practice. Um, and then, you know, I slowly started to explore and learn the runes. Um, it was also around this time that the most recent kind of tarot like renaissance happened Mm. um which I feel like that's really I don't know like all of these beautiful indie decks were coming out and people were kind of revolutionizing the way that people read tarot um little red tarot I don't know if you ever read that blog oh yeah um yeah yeah I can't I stumbled across little red tarot and I was like wait people can read a card every day like you don't have to wait until the full moon and do a full Celtic cross like every mm-hmm. every month like what <laughs> yeah 
so I got a, a lot more like flexible relationship with tarot, which really helped begin writing. Um, and once I really started committing to the runes and Nordic practice, it's just kind of like really evolved from there. And eventually within the last year, um, I realized that I really wanted community um, in terms of Nordic practice. Um, so in fall of 2019, I was actually invited to um, the Nordic women's retreat here in Minneapolis. Um, which at the time I identified as a woman, I no longer do, but I know that the space would still be open to gender non-conforming and gender fluid folks. So I would still go. Um, and I just met all of these amazing people and I felt really safe and comfortable and everybody was talking about how to keep racism like out of heathenry. Everybody, it felt like a really safe space for, um, exploring Nordic practice in community with people who shared my values. Um, and that was also, yeah. So I started working with Kari Toring, my current teacher, one-on-one -on -one, um, that spring. And then um, I have been learning from Johannes Gordbeck, who is a uh, troll dome uh, practitioner in Sweden. Um, I've been learning from him since January this year. So lots, yeah. lots of exciting things happening. <laughs> lots of exciting things. I'm so curious. You've flowed like from structured, organized witchcraft with Wicca to atheism to more Nordic witchcraft. And I'm curious, first of all, did you grow up with any religion or spirituality? your family I did um well sort of um <laughs> my dad was raised Catholic and had a horrible experience with Catholicism so he's basically an atheist um but he would my mom um was still missing you know like the church community more so than the religion Mm -hmm. Um, so we actually, I grew up first congregation, like un United Church of Christ, ah. <laughs> um, which is kind of like, it's like a more Christian Unitarian Universalist. Like, um, our pastor growing up was really open to, um, understanding other religions and other faiths. And I actually, I still rebelled. I like definitely hit a rebellious streak, especially when my mom like made me get confirmed. Mm -hmm. Um, but like she, it, it was still fine. Right. <laughs> like, um, so I, I grew up with that. My mom is also like very interested in like a lot of Buddhist belief, um, which my dad has also gotten a lot from. Um, so we were pretty, pretty loose in terms of religious upbringing. Of course, my mother was raised good Lutheran, good Nordic Lutheran. <laughs> so, um, so it always felt really stuffy when I would be visiting grandma and have to go to church with her. Um, it's like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah, um, you're out of ten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's fine. It just felt very like, especially after I had experienced witchcraft and particularly um, experienced like calling in goddesses or gods or spirits in Wicca. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, I don't feel the spirit here. Mm -hmm. They aren't like bringing the spirit into the space with us. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. But that's just not how Christianity is practiced in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's definitely not my experience with how Christianity is practiced. It was never about bringing in the spirit or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if there's anything that you... Like you said that working with Wicca helped you like learn a lot about energy and connect in that way. I'm wondering if there are other things that you have, yeah, that sort of still resonate from any of those things that you grew up with or practiced or atheism or anything like that, that are still part of your practice now. Yeah. So um, I, I think with 
Okay. So especially with teaching, because I'm a teacher of witchcraft now, mm-hmm. I am a firm believer in teach what you know. So um, I have and do work with my students a lot in terms of like, this is how you cast a circle. This is why you cast a circle. This is what each of these different elements represents. Um, because I think that if you're just getting started, it's really important Um the process of casting a circle is a way of learning what energy is, learning how it feels as you are creating a protective space. And so it's almost a little bit less like, I feel like I need to do this to protect myself now and more just like, okay, if I need to center and like really know like where I'm at in terms of, you know, spiritual life or, you know, really kind of like lay a foundation before I do a larger ritual, I do still cast a circle. And it does look a lot like a Wiccan circle. I'm not going to lie. Um, just because it comes so naturally to me after all these years. Um, there's a huge trend in witchcraft right now, I think, to participate in Wicca bashing. Um <laughs> Like, oh, they're just really fluffy or like, oh, you know, like Silver Ravenwolf, Teen Witch. That's not cool. That's not me. Um, And first of all, I mean, Wicca is still one of the biggest like pagan religions um, to this day. I think it's something around 40% of or like 60% of like all pagans who have like self-identified as pagan um, are Wiccan. Mm. So, you know, that's still like a pretty huge majority. Um, So I think a lot of it is like people wanting to be cool or or edgy. Um, (laughs) Mm. But I also think that I had a really unique experience in that I did start in a coven. A lot of people start with Wicca on their own. Um, And there were a lot of problems with the coven that I was in. There were a lot of bad structures and hierarchies within that specific coven, but I recognize that as being separate from Wicca as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, I think that a lot of people who criticize Wicca have never really been in community with like traditional Wiccans. Um so I think that's just interesting. Um, what was your original question? I've been gabbing. <laughs> no, you're good. I was just curious about, you know, what still resonates with you from all these different um, systems of belief that you've kind of flowed through. Yeah. Oh, and meditation also. Mm-hmm. Like I do have a pretty firm meditation practice. Um, I, when I was an atheist, I was exploring Buddhism. Um, And I think that Buddhism is a particularly interesting faith to me because there are a lot of different kinds of Buddhism. um, And you can also utilize a lot of the skills that you learn, like in other faiths as well. Um, It it, um, lends, from what I understand, and granted, I, I don't identify as a Buddhist, so I might be putting, you know, words in mouths. Um, but from what I understand, it's pretty easy to incorporate like a dual faithism aspect. Mm-hmm. So you can be Buddhist and something else. Um, and you're utilizing, you know, the teachings of the Buddha, like in your faith. Um, so I do still have a meditative practice that does sometimes incorporate some traditional meditation, um, from those lineages. Um, but like I said, I don't identify as Buddhist anymore. Um, yeah, I feel it's funny because I feel like I'm both very eclectic and very specific in how I practice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think I'm just always so curious about like, how do we get to the places that we go? You know, like, what are we bringing with us? What are we holding? And yeah, how are we carrying that forward? It's always so interesting to me to hear. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I also just wanted to touch back in on 
credit this story. And I'm curious if there's anything you want to share about your journey with queerness and with gender identity flowing through also your practice of, yeah, evolving with witchcraft. Yeah. Um, so that is also really interesting um, because a huge part of the reason why I didn't initially want to look into heathenry um, in my 20s was because I was like, oh, well, that's so masculine. Mm. Ew, it's like so toxic masculinity. Like, oh, I don't want to be like a Viking wannabe, you know? Um, and I felt really you know, kind of afraid of masculinity for a lot of reasons, stemming from, you know, past trauma, um, stemming from definitely repressed gender stuff, TM. Um, And it's so funny because in my work with Odin, in my work with Loki or Freya, gender is really fluid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and getting into my Nordic heathen roots has been really healing because it has shown me, okay, so like masculinity as we understand it under and live it under patriarchy is very often toxic. However, There is a masculinity that is beautiful, that is not toxic, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, what is the true, like, divine masculinity? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I was leaning so hard into the divine feminine. Um, And it kind of shows up, right, in these themes of, like, me asking for a goddess as a guide and Mm -hmm. getting a god. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, you know, kind of coming to terms with my own masculinity as well has been really essential. Um, So it's definitely like all mixed in there. I also think that um, queerness specifically will, there, there needs to be a place for queerness within witchcraft because part of the reason why we call ourselves witches is because it's sort of outside of society. It's external, right? You know, witches are, um, we have this memory of witches being persecuted or of witches being rebellious or standing outside of, you know, systems of oppression as challengers. Um, And I think that that's a a way that a lot of people understand witchcraft these days. Um, And queerness is subversive. Mm. Queerness is beautiful. Queerness is also like challenging that heteronormative um, patriarchal standard. In being queer, you know, and being non-binary myself, I have to kind of reckon with what is a queer masculinity. Mm. Um, And that in itself is so challenging to the patriarchy. Um, so I think it's really natural that there are so many queer witches, right? <laughs> like, I think that it's just really natural that we are all like, or that a lot of witches, I should say, are like queer as fuck, you know, here to mess things up, um, here to kind of challenge these massive systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that witchcraft is so personal, right? You know, like, the way that I practice, even if it's, you know, within a specific tradition or within something else, um, looks so different because it's me practicing it. Yeah. Um, but, and that is also gender experiences, like as a non-binary person or as, you know, like a trans person, like, or a queer person in general, like gender is also very individual for me, right? It's how I express gender. It's not how anybody else expresses gender. So I think that they there are a lot of similar themes that run through um, both my queerness and my witchcraft. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I was like joking the other day, like, are there straight witches? I was like, I've never <laughs> one. Like, 
right? I've met straight witches for sure. Uh, working in a metaphysical bookstore, you will meet every kind of witch. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I feel like the very online witches often are very queer. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate what you're saying about masculinity too. I've been thinking about this a lot in my relationship with my partner who's non-binary and who's more masculine and about this like healthy and beautiful queer masculinity and how gorgeous it is and how (laughs) different it is from yeah toxic masculinity and patriarchal masculinity yeah and I mean it's constantly a work in progress right like I know plenty of you know like really mask um people who are queer who are also toxic right you know if you're just trying to like (laughs) you know if you're just replicating the masculinity that you have grown up with with, you know that's not necessarily um, the same thing but I also think that you know talking about toxic masculinity particularly within the sapphic community Mm. it's really hard it's like well we're not dating men we're not dealing with toxic masculinity, but, mm, but honey, I think you are. <laughs> honey, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that, you know, that interrogation of masculinity is always the goal, but um, we don't always get there. And that's, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like you said, there's something to witchcraft that's so much... Yeah, that is subversive and that is about asking questions and listening for answers and really paying attention and um, looking at things differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I really love and appreciate about it. So it's like, of course, we're asking these questions too. Well, maybe not everyone, but (laughs) of course, some of us are asking these questions too about this and about justice and about, yeah, all these things. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to hear more about what Nordic witchcraft like looks like for you and the runes, the the wonderful runes. <laughs> yes. So the runes are uh, an oracle, an, an old Norse oracle. Um, they're actually an alphabet. So um, you'll find, you know, manuscripts written in the elder or primarily the younger Futhark. Um, Futhark is the different types of runic alphabets, but also like the first several letters of the runin alphabet. So like mm-hmm. it's Fehu Uruz, Thurasaz, Ansuz, Rido, and Kenaz. So Futhark. Um, much like alphabet is alpha beta. <laughs> um, I never realized that. What's <laughs> We don't teach people that. <laughs> like, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Honestly, I only realized that because I've been studying the runes. Because okay. I've been studying like a different alphabet. Like I only realized that because of that. So yeah. Funny. So um, so a lot of like medieval scholars or you know, runic scholars, because there's actually like an academic wing to studying runes, mm-hmm. um, are like, well, there's no magical basis here. You know, it was it was an alphabet, it was writing things down. Um, and yet we have found so many instances of like they were called rune sticks. Um you know, found that might have like a spell written in them mm-hmm. in the runic alphabet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really famous one that is actually a love spell that was found in Bregen in Norway, um, where it is basically somebody like doing a pretty nasty love spell mm. on this person. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember it right off the top of my head, um, but definitely look up the the Bregen rune charm um, and you'll find it. Um, so we know that runes were utilized for magic in the way that we utilize our alphabet for magic, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like you write the charm, you use the magic. Um, 
a lot of the meaning of the runes are um, given from the rune poems that have existed, which were ways of memorizing your letters, but they also included pieces of folklore or um, kennings, um, wise sayings. Um, and so, you know, that is how more contemporary rune readers have found the meanings of the runes. Um, but you can also find the meanings of the runes for yourself. So if you work with them, you can ask the spirit of a specific rune um, to come to you and you can work with it that way and kind of interrogate it that way. Um, Lara Valeda Vesta is on, she's amazing and she's on Instagram and has a new book that's out um, called Wild Soul Runes that is just all about that kind of personalized gnosis or that personal connection. So um, we even have, we don't know that this was runes for sure, but we can, you know, think about it as runes. Um, Tacitus in his Germania, which Tacitus was a Roman writer, um, writing about the Germanic tribes from the north um, in kind of a political way. Um, and I think it was like 100 um, common era. Anyway, so he wrote about um, a very traditional way of doing a reading or divination. He said that the, mm -hmm. the Nordic people are very interested in casting lots. And so what he described was that they would take um, a branch from a fruiting tree and divide it into, you know, different um, circles and carve symbols on the circles. Mm -hmm. And then they would kind of cast the runes on a cloth, look to the sky and pull three runes or three of those circles and read them. And um, I think he specifically says that if the runes, um, if the if the omens were disfavorable, that they would not do anything more um, mm -hmm. that day around that topic or that issue question. Um, so we know that they were used to help people make decisions and their everyday lives. Um, so from that, you know, some specific rune methods have developed, um, and there are, there are a ton of different ways of reading them. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like, they're just a very different kind of being than, like, tarot reading is for mm -hmm. me. Because I are do both. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, how do you work with the runes and how is it different for you than tarot? Yeah. So I work with the runes um, as more of like a spiritual guide for me. Mm -hmm. um, so the runes might, you know, give advice on what I need to do. Um, there's a huge, throughout Nordic practice, there's a huge um, emphasis on the present moment. Um because they were very practical people culturally thinking, you know, well, I can't change the past, but I can only make decisions in the present to make a better future. Yeah. So that is kind of how I work with runes in terms of prediction um, or in terms of guidance. It's more about how, how can I get right with myself? How can I be right internally? Tarot was created so much later um, and the world in which tarot was created is um, it looks a lot more like the world that we have today. Um, so I might use tarot for um, how am I going to plot out, you know, this section of story or, mm -hmm. um, you know, like I might use it for very practical things, particularly because I think the minor arcana can be really like, you know, they can be really, really direct um, with actions that we take in our everyday lives now. Um, the runes are a little bit, they're extremely direct, but also um, a little bit more mystic mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And that's just how I read them. Other rune readers might um, disagree with me or read them completely differently. Yeah. How do you, or do you have thoughts about working with runes in like an ethical way. Yeah. So a lot of, there's a huge emphasis right now in terms of like, what is a closed practice? 
Um, and I'm here to tell you that runes are not a close practice. Awesome. Um, yeah, they are. If somebody says that, they're literally a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a very intense history of, like, like Nazis literally used runes in their insignia. Like, the, the SS logo is two runes next to each other. Like, they literally used them. So, um, if you're running into heathens who are talking about how you need to have Nordic blood to work with runes or to do Nordic magic, they are literally a Nazi. Like that is the legacy that they are coming from. And that is, uh, yeah, (laughs) would not have known that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, which is also why so much of my work is focused around anti-racism and anti-white supremacy, utilizing the runes because I find it to be a very healing, right? It's like getting the runes back to original intention and, mm-hmm. you know, working with them in a very like ethical healed way. Um, because, you know, I can just firmly say that people who are saying working with the runes is a close practice or something like that, um, they're, they're not practicing the same thing that I'm practicing. They are doing something different mm-hmm. using the same symbols. Um, so that's a huge component of working with runes ethically. Um, I'd also say that they can elude you. I think that, um, you know, they're, they're letters on like a little slab of wood. You know, there are fewer clues in terms of context Right. Whereas tarot is illustrated. So you can gather um, hints from the illustration on the card. Um, Yeah, I also would just say, you know, with runes or Nordic magic in general, like, I think it is important to get to know the folklore, like get to know the folk culture of the of the runes like where they come from um it doesn't matter if you yourself are nordic or not but um i think that runes in particular will be really difficult to read with or to work with if you don't have a broader cultural understanding of where they came from Mm -hmm. which is open to everyone yeah like offering that context for the practice right yeah it's kind of funny questions like the first rune fehu. Um, it is like linguistically related to the word fee. And it is also um, in some rune poems, it is referred to as wealth. And in some rune poems, it is referred to as cattle. Mm-hmm. So like, what is the connection there culturally? Like if you don't have a little bit of understanding of Nordic culture, like that might be kind of hard to parse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with folk magic in general, maybe runes, maybe not, but do you have anything you want to share with people who are listening about how to create a practice that works for them that, yeah, is really resonant for them? Yeah, I think, honestly, the biggest thing that I have to say is meet your energy where it's at. So, um, I'm also like a chronically ill person, um, and I want my spiritual path to feed me, not to be a stressor. Um, and so I think that a lot of people are like, oh, what do I need to do for daily practice? What do I need to do for offerings? You know, what do I need to do for this or that? And I, I really think that it's important to take things slowly, gradually add on to your practice um, and do things that are ultimately grounding for you. Um, with folk magic specifically, I and Nordic folk magic, like read the folklore, you know, mm-hmm. like read the um read the folklore uh my teacher johannes uh has a book out called troll dome um which talks specifically about the like folk magic in scandinavia specifically in sweden so um that is a fantastic resource he does incredible work um and i also think that um 
you know, listening to the music, like really like immersing yourself in the culture is really helpful for building it. Um, I also think that a lot of folk magic is figuring out what you already have and working with it. So rather than, you know, a high ceremonial, like I need to have the silver athame and the, you know, the chalice, and like all of this stuff, which is beautiful if that's what you want. Right. But, um, you know, folk magic is a lot more about working with what you have and gradually building. Um, and I also think too, like a lot of folk magic practitioners historically have been the ones who have done magic for other people. Right. Mm -hmm. So like our cutting folk, our, um, you know, folk magicians would often be the one who would do, you know, healing magic for people in the town um, or in the village. Um, but before you get to that point, I highly recommend, you know, working specifically with a teacher of folk magic systems um, because they will help you just understand how to raise energy. They will help you understand how to utilize magic. They will help you kind of navigate those paths if they're a good teacher. Um, so that's kind of my take on like ethical folk magic. Um, also folk magic is often the magic that has survived. Um, Christian, the Christian trends, whoa, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Christian transition, what is it called? Conversion. There we go. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, folk magic is often what survived the Christian conversion and it continued to evolve as a living practice in, you know, a lot of these, you know, European cultures and elsewhere. And, um, so if you're a pagan, you might be surprised to find why is Jesus in this spell, you know, but like, that's, that's what it is. People are working with the spirit or the God that they, you know, worship or that they can work with. So yeah, don't be surprised by that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, too traumatized by religion to like reclaim Jesus or angels or any of that, but like lots of respect for people who do. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, and actually I was, I was going to say um, that I really appreciate all of your work on uh, religious trauma and like healing from religious trauma. It's really important. Thank you. Yeah. It's like, once I really connected with that idea that I had religious trauma, my life made so much sense. <laughs> so many things just made so much sense. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like, just because a spell utilizes Christ, right, you know, or something in it doesn't mean that you need to do it exactly as, as it's written, right? So you yeah. can make things work for you, but it's understanding the context. And that reminds me of this sentence I wrote down that I pulled from something you said that I thought was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, the most effective magic is often the magic you create yourself. You can cast a spell from a book, but wouldn't it be more fun and personal if you created the spell yourself? Which yes. Love it. Yeah. It's like, and both things are great. You know, like I also like, getting inspired by other rituals and spells that I didn't make and creating my own. I think it's all wonderful. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's really just like getting to know like the it's, it's being open. It's just being open to different experiences and figuring out how that can, you know, add to your own practice. The theme of the podcast. <laughs> living, living open. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're here, <laughs> Yes. I would love to ask you the last question I always ask on this show, which maybe is what you just said, but we'll see. <laughs> um, what does living open mean to you? What is that? What comes up for you when you hear that? Um, radical vulnerability. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I feel like we're in this like really weird time with social media. And I, I just posted about this today. It's clearly on my brain. Um, 
we're in this like really weird time with social media and podcasts and everything where you can feel very um, connected to people who don't know you, Mm -hmm. right? The parasocial relationship, right, is one where, you know, you you feel a very strong, um, you know, friendship or bond with someone who has never actually met you and doesn't realize that you feel that bond with them. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about vulnerability lately and like how much to share, because Mm -hmm. I definitely believe in radical vulnerability and in, you know, being open about these are my experiences. This is my trauma. This is why this won't work for me or why, um, this will, or, Hey, I'm really sick. Like I have a chronic illness and I'm just really sick today. So I can't be Instagram pretty for you. Right. Um, and so I think that that's a really important aspect of living open to me. Um, I also think that, you know, when I was growing up, there were not witches that I could look up to Mm -hmm. or magical practitioners of any sort, really. I didn't know that it was real until I hit like middle school. Um, Yeah. And I think that that's important because so many people are seeking magic. And if you're, you know, hiding your magic, um, then it's hard for people to discover their own magic as well. Um, So being open about my own practices is really important. And um, being open about all of that, I think, (sighs) contributes to living open. Yeah, that feels so true. I've been thinking so much about my relationship with vulnerability in like a more public way this year, especially. And I feel like I've deepened and opened up into so much more radical vulnerability in my life in person, in my interpersonal relationships. And at the same time have felt like sharing so much less in this public way because my relationship with all of it Instagram and everything feels so weird right now and (laughs) yeah like okay not to not to get super nuts and bolts and you can cut this if you want but like the algorithm change and like the change that they made when they introduced reels and like Mm -hmm. all of that it really changed how I looked at the app and how comfortable I felt like being open on that app Um, And I know that a lot of people follow me there and, you know, I've had really great interactions with people there and I just, maybe I'm a fuddy-duddy, but I miss the old Instagram. (laughs) Me too. I think Reels made me feel more like I have to be a product than ever before. Like seconds to like be the product version of you and I just can't, I hate it. Yeah, I'm thinking of just doing like little reels of my plants. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> just to, like, just to like help with my right, like just to like help with my algorithm woes, but also just like here, you can look at my tomatoes today. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> wholesome. I'm here for that wholesome content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, can you please tell everyone where they can find you and follow you and anything you have coming up that you want to share? Yes. So this summer is really bustling for me. Um, I am going to be doing my Radical Runes class via Catland Books, um, which is a six-week kind of course in uh, placing the runes within a radical context, um, you know, lefty, anti-white supremacist, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that starts in July and it will be every Thursday in July and then a couple in August. Um, I'm really excited for that. I have been doing a ton of, you know, work since the last time I taught it, which was last fall. Um, if you're curious about kind of more specific heathen stuff, um, jived with this conversation, want to learn more, I host my own podcast, uh, which is called the Heathen's Journey Podcast. So I often will have guests on who are uh, far more knowledgeable than I am, or I will, um, you know, write uh, an episode and kind of speak 
on a topic. So um, I'm kind of currently working my way through all 24 of the Elder Futhark runes um, mm -hmm. in that way, but I've also done episodes on, um, you know, like magical protection or on, um, you know, different topics within magic. Um, I do also have a bit of a traditional witchcraft like slant, so a folkloric witchcraft slant, if you are interested in that as well. Um, what else? Do I, oh, I'm, I'm opening a shop. I'm opening an apothecary this summer. What? Amazing. <laughs> uh, congrats. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. I basically like, I don't know. I have been, uh, always curious about bringing in like retail because I know that my like ritual items, like things that I use in ritual are really, really important to me. Mm. Um, and I also have, because I work with students, um, I have a ton of students who are like, what do I use for this? Or where can I find this thing? Does it work? Like, do you trust this? Um, and so I'm bringing in like a bunch of different um, candles, whether ritually crafted or um, not ritually crafted. I'm bringing in like some anointing oils for different uh areas of magic. So like I've got a love oil, I've got a holy oil uncrossing, like a whole bunch of different options for that. Um, I'll be bringing in books to help students on and customers, clients, everyone on their journey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll also be selling some rune sets and some tarot decks. So I'm kind of starting small. I don't have a launch date yet just because um, I was going to launch on Midsummer, and then I was like, oh, I haven't actually, like, prepared anyone for this. I need to, like, hype it up a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. I'm hype. <laughs> yeah, great. So you can find all of that on northernlightswitch.com. You can book a reading with me there as well. I've got some individual classes or zines on the site as well. And, um, yeah, I think that's... I feel like there's like a massive thing that I do that I'm forgetting right now. Oh, I should tell you where to find me on social media. So <laughs> on, on the Instagram, which we were just talking about, I am <laughs> at northern.lights.witch. And on Twitter, I am at northlightwitch. And yeah, that's, that's, I think, all of my things, all of my <laughs> large things. <laughs> wonderful things thank you so much for sharing and for being here and sharing about runes and yeah it's just so good to talk to you <laughs> yeah wonderful talking to you thank you so much for having me thank you so much for listening if you loved this episode please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on i appreciate it so so much and it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show with an indie podcast you can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description and i'll be back on monday with another episode make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.